what a beautiful sound uh, to hear your voices praising the name of Jesus. Uh, boy, if you've, if you've been a follower of Jesus for some time, I hope today my prayer is that you'll be uh, re-energized and reminded of how truly beautiful, wonderful, powerful is his name and that you'll go home inspired by that, that he is worthy of our full devotion, nothing less. Um, if you don't know Jesus or you're not quite sure where Jesus fits in your life, boy, I'm glad you're here today. And I, my prayer is that you will be inspired by the most remarkable person who ever lived. Uh, and not only that, but he's someone who invites us to follow his ways, who makes it possible to know him and to know his ways because he's left his spirit here with us and his word to guide us. Um, Jesus is truly a wonderful powerful name. And that's why we're focusing on him over this sermon series that we started in January called Come and See. We're looking at the life of Jesus, different scenes of Jesus through the eyes of the gospel of John. John was one of those guys who was closest to Jesus. He's the apostle who lived the longest and he has the most stories to tell of how uh, he saw and encountered Jesus. And he invites us to come and see even today how relevant Jesus' words and ways are for us. Our, our pastor, our lead pastor, Julio Garneri, has been on a sabbatical. Uh, he'll be back in three weeks, so his time is almost up. Please continue to pray for him to have a time of restoration and renewal and that he can come back just with great energy and vision for the next season of his ministry. <clears throat> But as we look at the Gospel of John here in just a minute, I want to first uh, just kind of use something to, to point out where we're going this morning. Uh, this, this weekend, I started watching a little bit of baseball from the World Baseball Classic. Now, I don't know if you realize this, but there's like, you know, the World Cup of Soccer. There's now like a World Cup of Baseball. And it's kind of started not too long ago, but every four years, uh, some, you know, countries submit teams and they try to play for a World Baseball Championship. And so right now that's going on before the major league season kicks off. And uh, Team USA is in it. They're the defending champs from four years ago. They played Great Britain yesterday. Uh, but one of the things that I heard was interesting was that this year's team, a lot of guys weren't sure if they were gonna play, especially the All-Stars. They were like, yeah, it's so close to the regular season. I don't wanna take away from my regular season. And so a lot of guys were not committed until they heard that Mike Trout had signed up. Now, if you know anything about baseball, Mike Trout has probably been the best player over the last 10 years in Major League Baseball, but a lot of people don't know about him because he plays on a team that doesn't win a whole lot, the Anaheim Angels or the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, whatever their name is nowadays, uh, that's who he plays for. And, uh, but he's one of the best players, super respected. So as soon as he signed up for Team USA, guess what happened? All those other all-stars said, hey, I'll play too. I'll play too, I signed up. And so why is that? Because Mike Trout is a difference maker and they wanna play on his team. And I say that to you today because as we look at the Gospel of John, we're gonna look at how Jesus is a difference maker and he's the ultimate difference maker. And when we begin to see that, wow, it changes the way we wanna do things. It changes our decisions and our direction in our lives. In fact, what I wanna do is kinda of get you to notice the difference maker that Jesus is through the Gospel of John. <laughs> The Gospel of John chapter nine. Uh, in the same way that, you know, have you gotten that, have you ever had that sensation that when you get a new car or if it's a new used car, you're like, oh wow, this was great. I chose it, it seems so cool. I hadn't seen this car very much before. And you start driving it around town and then what do you see? 
You see everybody else has the same car, right? Even the same color. You're like, man, I, I thought I was kind of pretty original here. Uh, it's not because anything has changed. It's more that your perspective has changed, right? And now you're noticing something that you didn't notice before. With the same mindset, I'd like us to read through John chapter 9 this morning. And I want you to notice where and how does Jesus make a difference, all right, that's what we're looking for. And I'm going to tell you, we're, look, we're going to look at especially how Jesus makes a difference with his perspective, how the way, things, the way Jesus sees things makes a difference. He makes a difference with his power and authority that he has, and he makes a difference with his presence. Now, those are three Ps that aren't in your outline, so that's a bonus for you. Uh, that's a different uh, outline you could take, but that's kind of what we're going to follow, his power, his presence, his perspective of, that Jesus makes. And we're going to look at six things throughout this story of how Jesus makes a difference. So we're gonna read through John chapter nine. This is really kind of like, like a one act play. It's just one story, but we're gonna read it in four parts. So four scenes of a one act play and we'll, we'll look at it as we go along the way. All right, so John chapter nine, it'll be up on the screen or in your Bibles if you wanna follow along. It says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the tasks assigned us by the one who sent us. The night is coming and then no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. Then he spit on the ground made mud with the saliva and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. He told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. Now, this is a, an amazing story, right? And it's amazing for a lot of reasons. First, we see, you know, that Jesus is walking around. He sees this man who's blind. The disciples have been hanging around Jesus for a while now, and they know his power. They know what he can do. And, and, and they're like, oh, here's a blind man. Maybe God can do something here. But, but you know, God bless them. The disciples, they're still kind of new at this thing. They're still trying to understand Jesus and follow him. So they take the man's misery and try to turn it into a theological conversation. They try to make it a teaching moment. Jesus, rabbi, master, uh, why is this man blind? Is it because of his sin or his parents' sins? You know, and they're just trying to learn, right? God bless them. I understand. You know, they, they don't quite fully understand what Jesus' purpose is on earth at this point. And Jesus, but Jesus doesn't ignore them. He doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't say, hey guys, the man is blind, but he's not deaf, right? He can hear you talking about him. He can hear you talking about his misery and you're trying to theologize his misery, like theologize, is that a word? I'm not sure. You're trying to be theological and theoretical and philosophical. Why is he blind? Is it because of his sin or his parents' sins? And Jesus says, hey, it's not either one of these. Jesus engages the disciples in this question. And he says this, he says, this happened so the power of God could be seen in him. Now that phrase could be a little troubling, right? You're like, well, what does that mean? This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. Notice what Jesus doesn't say. Jesus doesn't say, God did this so that I could show off, right? He doesn't say that, right? In fact, he says, this happened. And, and that's so true about a lot of things in our world and in our day. Things just happen. Now, uh, sometimes when bad things happen to us or bad things happen around us, what do we say? We say, oh God, why didn't you control that? Why didn't you stop that? We want God to control things when they negatively affect us. 
But if you follow that logic for a while, you realize, wait, but, but where do you draw the line? At what point do you want God to not control things anymore? Because at some point, it takes away your free will, right? And that's one of the things about human nature that we realize we've been given free will. God created us, but he allows us to choose. And he allows us to, to say yes or no, to obey him or turn our backs on him. And that's because God is love. And true love says, hey, come with me out of choice, not because I forced you to. All right, so before we start saying, well, God should control this and God should stop that, let's be careful and recognize that God is a loving God and he set this world into motion and he's present, he's present, he's powerful, but he doesn't necessarily make everything happen, especially the way we want it to happen. And so I like how Jesus answers this. He just says, this happened, right? Because of sin and death in the world, people are born with blindness, with disease. People are born in, in, with negative circumstances all the time. But what Jesus does is he turns a blame into opportunity, right? He says, this happened so the power of God could be seen in him. And that's the teaching that we need to take away from this, is that Jesus' perspective is different. And he says, take something that you're trying to find blame for and turn it into an opportunity for God to work. That's what Jesus does when he brings his perspective into a situation. And we're diving in quick right away, but I want to ask you, let's get personal. Is there something you're still blaming God for or blaming somebody else for that hasn't changed in your life? And maybe you need to stop blaming and looking instead for the opportunity. What is it that God wants to do in this situation? I've been guilty of that. I can tell you that. I want God to fix things. And I'm like, well, God, if you only cause this person or this situation to change, then my situation could be different. And, and God is challenging me with that, saying, look, don't look at blame Look at opportunity. What does God want to do? What, he, what can he do in this difficult situation? And so the second thing we see here is the difference Jesus makes is he actually makes the blind man receive sight, right? We'll look at the how in just a moment because the how should trouble us a little bit. <laughs> but first the why, why does God give the blind man sight? Well, Jesus says, look, Jesus, remember, is God in the flesh, God with us. So he's trying to show us who God is. He's trying to show us the heart of God for humanity, including for the poor, the broken, especially for those who are far from God. And so it's the loving power of God that motivates Jesus to turn blindness into sight, into sight. And that's a cool miracle. Boy, I wish we could see it every day today. I don't know if we have any eye doctors in here, but, but wouldn't it be amazing if you're working with someone and suddenly someone who's blind becomes, is able to see? That would be amazing. But, but yet what is equally amazing is something we need to recognize that the Bible tells us that that is happening every day in the spiritual realm, that the spiritually blind are receiving sight every day. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says that the unbeliever, the one who doesn't trust or believe Jesus, does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they're spiritually discerned. I mean, the Bible makes it clear. Look, if, if you don't believe God, you know, there is a barrier. There's a blindness that's just there because of sin and death in the world. It just is. It just happens to be. And so, but the good news is that Jesus says, I am giving you my spirit. Remember in John chapter eight and John chapter 14, he says, I am the way, the truth and the life. In John chapter eight, he says, uh, I have come so that you can have the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus is pointing to us the truth about ourselves, the truth about the universe and the truth about the way to God. He doesn't answer every question. We admit that, right? Not every question that we have is answered in the Bible. But Jesus says, hey, you can trust me and I can prove that and you can follow me. But the spiritually blind receive sight every day when someone 
comes to know Jesus and follow him. But it happens to be when, it has to be when people are open to truth. When people are open to truth, even the blind can see. We see that happen with this blind man, literally, right? Why do I say he was open to truth? Well, look at this. First of all, how does Jesus do the miracle? You know, we just sang about how just one word, you know, just one touch. I can see this blind man saying, hey, I hear you making mud over there with spit and dirt. How about just one word? How about just one word, Jesus? Just say, healed, right? And boom, I'm healed. How about just one touch? You know, Jesus did that, right? He touched other people and they were healed. But this blind man is sitting there. He hears what's going on. Jesus is spitting. And you know, we're spitting, we're not spitting. We're swallowing our saliva all the time, right? It's just natural. Uh, I, I know that maybe grossed you out a little bit, but it's just a reality. We do it without thinking, just like breathing. But once saliva leaves our mouth, we don't want anything to do with it anymore, right? <laughs> you swallow it all the time, but if you were to put it in a cup, you wouldn't want to drink it back, right? I mean, ever agree with that? I'm not trying to gross you out before lunch here, but, but the reality is here, it took a lot of saliva for Jesus to make mud, right? Not just a little, you can't make mud with that. So I'm, I'm painting you this picture because we have to ask the question, Jesus, what is going on? What are you doing here? Why not just say one word? Why not just give one touch? Why does this man get the mud treatment when it comes to his dilemma? And it makes me wonder, have you been asking God for something in prayer and all you feel that he's given you is spit and dirt? Maybe all you feel that he's given you is putting mud on your eyes and you're like, what is going on? Why not just the miracle? Why not just the cure? What are you doing, Jesus? And I think two things are happening here. I think for one, uh, the gospel of John is showing us that the most base ingredients on earth are spit and dirt can be the ground for a miracle. In other words, God can do anything through the most base elements in our world. And I think the thing for us is that we need to ask ourselves, what, what spit and dirt do we have in our life that could be the grounds for a miracle if we stop taking blame and looking for opportunity? If we stop rejecting Jesus and saying, Jesus, I wanna know you, I wanna trust you. Uh, there could be miracle in the mud if you look to Jesus. But it's not just about the mud, right? Jesus says, go and what? Wash in the pool of Siloam. And that's the second key, right? is somehow he goes. He is desperate enough. He maybe tried everything. He's kind of at his end and he's like, you know, I, I don't know what else to do. So here's mud being put on my eyes. I don't understand that, but he's telling me to go wash. Okay, I'll try that. I wonder how he even gets there, right? He's, he's blind. On top of his blindness, he's got mud and now he's got to get to this pool. But the question I also have is, was he already healed when Jesus put the mud on his eyes? Maybe, right? We don't know. But the, the key is he had to go to the pool and wash, right? He had to go to the pool and wash to be able to see. It's possible he was already healed as soon as Jesus put the mud in his eyes. But because the mud was on his eyes, he still couldn't see, right? And so he had to go to the pool and wash. My question for us in that is, what step of obedience might Jesus be telling you to take, even if it doesn't make any sense? Even if you feel like, God, I've asked for this and all you're giving me is mud, but what step of obedience is he asking you to take so that you can experience your answer, so you can experience your miracle, even if it doesn't make sense? And I think that's the key, right? Here, the guy takes a step of obedience. He's desperate enough. He, he needs a, a solution. He needs a change in his life. And Jesus says, I can give it to you 
but you gotta take the step of obedience. You may not understand why. It's not part of the magic. It's just, I wanna know if you're willing to take this step. What step of obedience might Jesus be putting in front of you? And you're just holding back. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. I'm not sure what people are gonna say. Um, I think that's what we can learn from this. But let's see how the story continues. In John 9, verse eight to 12, it says that his neighbors, this man who was blind and now can see, and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, isn't this a man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was, and others said, no, he just looks like him. <laughs> it's kind of funny. But the beggar kept saying, yes, I am the same one. They asked, well, who healed you? What happened? He told them, the man they called Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes and told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed, and now I can see. Well, where is he now, they asked. I don't know, he replied. What do we see here? We see, first of all, we see the difference that Jesus literally makes in you or in him or in the person that is willing to obey. There is an actual notable difference. Did you see that? When Jesus touches you, when Jesus moves in your life, you begin to look different. You begin to act different. And the neighbors notice that. Now, what's sad is that they described him as a beggar, right? They knew he was blind, but they're like, hey, isn't that the beggar who used to sit there? And they, but they don't fully recognize him. They're not quite sure what's happened because there's already a transformation going on in his mind and his heart and his soul. There's a difference that he already begins to shine and reflect that perhaps even makes his neighbors jealous. Um, it made me think about how when I first got serious about Jesus, I was a junior in high school and I really began to, to, to want to be discipled. You know, I'd grown up in church all my life, but I wanted, I felt like, okay, I want it to be real. I, I asked for people to teach me. I began to read God's word in the New Testament, especially I was just, I was just devouring it. It was just speaking to me. Uh, I'd get home you know, from basketball practice, do homework, and then just read God's word. I got involved with my youth group and all that. And, and I began to, to change, I guess. You know, I, I, I was kind of a shy kind of lacking confident kid. I began to have more confidence. And, but what was interesting to me, <clears throat> excuse me, allergies, is that I remember a guy, I remember one, a, a friend of mine who would start coming to me and he would just tell me, he would just start confessing his sins. He's like, hey David, man, this weekend, I really blew it. Yeah, I, I drank, I should have drank, you know, you know, I did this, I did that. And, I, and I'm someone like, hey man, that's okay. I mean, God can forgive you. And, but I, I, at one point I'm like, hey, why are you telling me this thing? Like, why are you constantly telling me? And he's like, well, you're, you're kind of like my, my, my priest. You know, I just, I just like to come to you and, and tell you these things. I thought, well, I, I, don't, I don't look like a priest. I don't dress like a priest. But he noticed something, I guess, in me that he felt like, hey, he, he kind of represents God. I'm going to go talk to him. And I'm not saying that to say, oh, look at me. I'm saying, as I look back, I realize there was a difference made in me when I got serious as a follower of Jesus that others noticed in me as well. Uh, just even more recently, uh, a guy in our, in our group at Man Church, he said, hey, I've been trying to practice these things that we're talking about in Man Church. And you know what my wife said the other day? She said, hey, you look different. <laughs> you, you, you're being different. You're acting different. And that's the, that's the truth, right? If you're truly following Jesus, we're gonna be different. People are going to notice that. They may not always like it, but they'll notice it. Now, does anyone see you as different if you're a follower of Jesus? Uh, if not, maybe it's time to pause and reassess and say, am I, am, I, am I following fully in the ways of Jesus? 
Or do I have just enough religion? Do I have enough just, just, you know, a little bit of faith here, a little bit of faith there, but then I'm just kind of living my life the way I want to. But you know, if you're following fully in the ways of Jesus, people will notice the difference. Let's see how the story continues. Um, Act three in this scene, this is the longest, but bear with me as we read through here what happens. Then they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made the mud and healed him. The Pharisees asked the man all about it, so he told them, he put the mud over my eyes and when I washed it away, I could see. Some of the Pharisees said, well, this man, Jesus, is not from God for he's working on the Sabbath. Others said, but how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was a deep division of opinion among them. Then the Pharisees again questioned the man who had been blind and demanded, well, what's your opinion about this man who healed you? The man replied, I think he must be a prophet. The Jewish leaders still refused to believe the man had been blind and could now see. So they called his parents. They, they need a witness, right? They asked them, is this your son? Was he born blind? If so, how can he now see? His parents replied, we know this is our son and that he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him, he's old enough to speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was a Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. That's why they said, he is old enough, ask him. So for the second time, they called in the man who had been blind and told him, God should get the glory for this because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. I don't know whether he's a sinner, the man replied, but I know this, I was blind and now I can see. But what did he do, they asked. Well, how did he heal you? <laughs> Look, the man exclaimed. I can feel him pulling his hair out here. I told you once, didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they cursed him and said, you are his disciples, but we are disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from. Why, that's very strange, the man replied. He healed my eyes, and yet you don't know where he comes from. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he's ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. You were born a total sinner, they answered. Are you trying to teach us? Are you lecturing us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. Here we see the story reaching its, its climax, right? Uh, first of all, John 9 is a continuation of John 8. You know, the original manuscripts didn't have chapters and verse like we have here. And in John 8, some pretty significant things happened. In John 8, Jesus says, you know, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And the Pharisees say, well, wait a minute. What are you talking about? We've never been slaves to anyone. We are free. And Jesus confronts them and says, look, no, you're, you're not understanding the heart of God. You might know the law of God, but you're missing the heart of God. And he tries to explain that to him. And then obviously he shows grace and mercy to people that, that the Pharisees thought didn't deserve grace and mercy. And it comes that, that confrontation comes to the end in John 8, where he says, before Abraham was born, I am. And he used that phrase very intentionally. Right? That phrase is the same phrase that, that, that God spoke to Moses. When Mo, God revealed himself to Moses, he says, I am the I am. And that's the same phrase Jesus uses. In other words, Jesus is making it super clear. 
I am the Messiah. I am the one sent from God. I am God with us, God in the flesh. But you just not, you refuse to believe it. And so when this situation spills into John chapter nine, the Pharisees, their conflict with them is reaching its peak. They now talk openly about killing Jesus. They're not making it a secret anymore. They want him dead and out of the picture. And Jesus doesn't hold back any truth from them. He is telling them the truth the way he sees it, the way they need to hear it. But what's important for us here is that the Pharisees have a deep misunderstanding about the Sabbath. Now the Sabbath was, you know, you may not know much about it, but it's the Old Testament law, right? Where, or it's one of the 10 commandments. And in the Jewish law practice, it was to keep Saturday as a holy day. Now its intention was for us to renew, to be refreshed and re-energized, to spend time with God in a meaningful way and just feel good and ready to go for the next week. That was the intention. But the Jewish leaders had turned it into a law of control and manipulation and say, don't do this, don't do that, to the point where they thought Jesus made mud on the Sabbath. Well, that's wrong. That's a violation of God's principles, even though he used it to heal someone. And the point that we had to point out here is the difference that Jesus makes is he shows us that Sabbath is for our good. And you could apply that to the whole law of God. All the law of God is for our good. We might see it as restraining when we don't understand it, but it's actually meant to set us free. It's actually meant to to teach us the way to know God better. The whole law is actually meant for our good, but religious leaders used it instead to manipulate and control people. And that's why Jesus was so unpopular with them because they, because he was challenging their control and their manipulation. Sabbath is one of those things that we underestimate what a difference maker it is. I don't know if you practice a 24-hour Sabbath. It doesn't have to be on Saturday. Maybe it's on Sunday. You know, you come to gather with other believers, get refreshed, hopefully get encouraged, and then spend the rest of your day in some way that's different from your Monday through Saturday routine so that you're re-energized and refreshed. This is a principle that God gives us. It's six days he worked and rested on the seventh. When he made Adam and Eve, he made them on the sixth day, according to the scripture story, right? And then the first day that they had, their first full day with God was the seventh day. And the first thing they did was rest. The first thing they did was Sabbath. The first thing they did was abide and allow God to be their strength so that they could work and be productive the rest of the week. Sabbath is one of those different make, difference makers that we underestimate. It doesn't have to be a legalistic thing, but it's something we can practice to connect with God and to connect with how he made us in better ways. Uh, I... I um, in thinking about this, I was thinking about my father-in-law who was a pastor. I only got to know him about three years, unfortunately, because he died young from cancer. But one of the things I remember him saying that stuck with me was this, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. Can I get an amen, <laughs> right? Especially when our clocks move forward an hour and by two o'clock today, we're all gonna be a little groggy. You know, great thing to do is take a nap. But what I love about it is he understood human nature. He understood that, that when we're running on empty, when we're running on fatigue, when we're running until we can't run anymore, that's when we start making mistakes, right? It's true in sports, right? When you're more fatigued, you make more mental mistakes, more physical mistakes. It's true in life. Uh, we're less kind, we're less patient, we're less loving. We're more prone to be vulnerable to sin and temptation. And so Sabbath is a key principle. I'm I'm harping on this a little bit because I think it's so important for us in our busy, busy, busy world where we value busyness. We even describe our own worth based on how busy we are sometimes. And we need to stop and realize God made us to accept our limits for our own good, to rest and renew 
and then be effective for the week ahead. Sabbath is for renewal so that we could be more fruitful and productive going forward. But this is just one example of how the Pharisees had totally missed the heart of God in their zeal for the law of God. And I tell you, that gives me a little bit of fear and trembling, right? I, I went to seminary, I've studied God's word, I've, I've, I've done ministry most of my adult life. I wanna be careful that at no point am I a Pharisee, that at no point am I thinking, well, I understand God fully and something that God says or does that doesn't fit my understanding, I reject. I've gotta be really careful with that uh, because I think we all do. We all need to keep learning and growing and what is God's word, what is God's truth and how do I live it and apply it so I don't miss the heart of God because of my zeal for God. The fifth thing we see here is how the difference that Jesus makes is he causes the simple to confound the smart, right? He causes the simple man who wasn't even educated to confound and to, and to infuriate the wise, the Pharisees. The blind man who's never gone to school ends up schooling the Pharisees. Just one encounter with Jesus made him wiser than them. Even the parents seem to believe Jesus was the Messiah. But you know, what's interesting is they had a basis for this. In the Old Testament, in Exodus 4, in Psalm 146, in Isaiah, the ability to give sight to the blind is exclusively associated with God and with the Messiah. So even though these were unschooled people, for the most part, they knew, well, when it comes to God, we know only God can heal the blind. So Jesus must have some connection to God. Excuse me. So the simple confounds the wise. The simple confounds the smart. And I just want to say something here that's interesting. We live in a day and age when we have more knowledge than we ever have before, right? We have access to more knowledge. But are we wiser than we ever were before? What are we doing with all this knowledge? I mean, knowledge is great, right? I'm all for knowledge, continuing advancement, learning, developing. I love the breakthroughs we get in science and, and technology. They're fascinating, right? But let's be very careful that we don't confuse knowledge of things with wisdom, with wisdom of, of all knowing, right? Let's be careful not to reduce or minimize the stories we hear, even this one. You might be sitting here thinking, well, scientifically, how is it possible that mud could give a blind man sight, right? Easy to just say, ah, throw that one out the window. That's obviously not true. But what are we doing when we say that? We're applying knowledge, but we're discarding the presence of Jesus. We're, we're acting as if the presence of Jesus doesn't matter. And I want to suggest to you that the presence of Jesus is what makes all the difference. That's what makes this a miracle. And it's that same presence of Jesus that he wants to be present in our lives through his Holy Spirit. He wants to work things in our lives that help us understand that he is all powerful, he's all good, and he can work things for our good. Uh, knowledge is fantastic, but let's be careful not to be like these Pharisees and allow our knowledge to suddenly distort our ability to believe in who Jesus is and what he can do. So how does this story end? Verses 35 to 41. When Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man and asked him, do you believe in the son of man? The man answered, who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. You've seen him, Jesus said, and he's speaking to you. Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said, and he worshiped Jesus. Then Jesus told him, I entered this world to render judgment 
to give sight to the blind and to show those who think they see that they are blind. Some Pharisees who were standing nearby heard him and said, are you saying we're blind? I love Jesus' answer. He says, if you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, Jesus replied. But you remain guilty because you claim you can see. I love here that first Jesus goes back and looks for this guy because he knows he's done a miracle in his life. Or maybe he wants to find out, hey, did he go wash? <laughs> I don't know. For some reason, Jesus goes and looks for him again. And when he finds him, he tells him, hey, follow me. Follow me. And you will find all that you're looking for in life. But in the process of this man following Jesus and fully surrendering to Jesus, again, we see the, the opposite, right? We see the Pharisees who have every opportunity to also follow Jesus. And yet instead they resist. And what we see here, the sixth and final point, is we see the blindness of those who claim to see. Jesus actually comes into the picture and makes the blind man be able to see. But at the same time, Jesus comes into the picture and makes those who claim to see be blind. Now that is also a frightening thing, isn't it? Right? If we claim to be wise in our own eyes, we're going to end up actually being blind to the truth. When people don't want to accept truth, their sight goes blind. Truth with a capital T. It's actually better, Jesus points out here, better to not have heard truth at all than to end up challenging him and going against him. But when people like this blind man are open to the truth, even the blind receive sight. The truth sets you free. So what truth is Jesus challenging you today to simply believe? Or what step of obedience is he calling you to take, even if it doesn't make sense? Maybe for you in that truth that you need to believe in that obedience step you need to take, maybe in that there's a miracle in the mud. Got to go to that pool that Jesus tells you to go to, do what he says, and see what difference it makes. I'd like to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment as we wrap up. I'd like to take this moment just to ask you to consider two things. First of all, I just want to just put it out there for you that Jesus is the most remarkable human being who ever lived. We don't have time to talk about how and why, but he literally changed the world when he came onto the scene. And he invites you to know him and to follow him today. The question is, will you? Will you say yes? Will you say yes to Jesus who is the truth? We may not understand everything yet, but will you say yes to him and trust him with your life and follow him? If you've never said, Jesus, yes, I want to follow you. Jesus, yes, I want to fully know you as the truth. If you've never said that to him, but you want to do that today, I'd like to invite you to just raise your hand right where you are. Say, Jesus, I want to say yes to you. All right, awesome. God bless you. Yeah. Anybody else? Just, I want to say yes to Jesus. I want to follow him. I want to know him. I want to believe him. All right, if you said yes to Jesus, just pray this prayer. Just say, Lord, thank you that you love us so much that you revealed yourself to us. 2,000 years ago in person and you left a record of that for us. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that, that I'm far from you, that I'm blind without you. 
And I just pray that you would help me today to know you. Lord, you would receive me as your son or daughter because of the work you've done on the cross to make a way for me to be in God's family. Thank you, Jesus, that you come to set us free. Thank you, Jesus, that you come to invite us into life with you. So I receive you, Jesus, and I follow you today. In Jesus' name. Now, so for some of us, perhaps there's some things that Jesus and the Bible teach us that you've had a hard time believing or trusting. Maybe you claim to see now what you didn't see before and such as how, how, could, how could Jesus even been raised from the dead? How could he do these miracles? My question for you is, has your sight made you skeptical? Has your knowledge made you skeptical and diminished your faith? Uh, today, Jesus reminds us that it's not about what we can fully understand. It's about trusting him beyond what we can understand. So maybe you just need to say yes to fully trusting Jesus again. And if that's you, I just want you to just pray right now. Say, Lord Jesus, forgive me when I thought that my wisdom was greater than yours, my knowledge is greater than yours, my understanding is greater than yours. Help me to trust you, even in my circumstances that may not make sense. Help me to trust you that when I've prayed for a miracle, I got mud instead, but that you can still do your work through that to heal me, to restore me. Lord, help me to believe you again. Help me to trust in you. In Jesus' name.